Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Paddock Chat, a West Midlands Group original podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. I'm your host, Kira Holly, and I work at the West Midlands Group. If you were lucky enough to attend our Beef Cattle Nutrition in Practice workshop back in August this year, you would have had the opportunity to hear from today's guest, Livestock Production Specialist and Honorary Research Fellow in the UWA Institute of Agriculture, Dr. John Milton. If you didn't get there, then this episode catches you up on some of the great information that you may have missed out on. In this episode, the West Midlands Group's Beef Development Officer, Charles Callaghan, caught up with Dr. John Milton to discuss the following questions from cattle producers. What are the fundamentals of animal nutrition? The key points when matching available feed to meet animals' requirements? And what is the process for implementing a supplementary feeding program? Now, the information is fairly technical, so feel free to get in touch with Charles if you have any questions or if you would like to get in touch with Dr. John Milton. Before we get into it, here's a little bit about our guest. John grew up on livestock and grain farms in Queensland and graduated in ag science followed by a PhD on phosphorus metabolism while teaching in the vet school at Queensland Uni. He then started a feed analysis and consultancy business while growing grain crops in southern Queensland. John worked overseas for six years, directing a foreign aid agricultural project in Thailand, for which he was made an officer of the Most Noble Order of the Crown by His Majesty, the late King of Thailand. Then, in 1991, John was appointed at the University of Western Australia to conduct industry-funded research to help develop the WA prime lamb industry. For over 20 years, while employed at UWA, he also ran his own livestock feed analysis and consultancy company, Independent Lab Services. John's forte is to apply the principles of ruminant nutrition and reproduction for profitable livestock production, both extensive and intensive. Since retiring as a research associate professor after 25 years at UWA, John has widened his services to livestock producers across Australia. John continues his pursuit of research outcomes with industry application through his current appointment as an honorary research fellow in the UWA Institute of Agriculture. Now, before we hear from today's guest, I'd just like to say the information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on information provided in this podcast. This conversation was recorded in early September of 2020. Welcome everyone to the Paddock Chat Podcast. I'm Charles Gargan and I'm the Beef Development Officer here at West Midlands Group. Uh, today we're joined by Dr John Milton, who runs Independent Lab Services, a very knowledgeable man in the animal nutrition sector. Uh, so John, thank you very much for joining us today. That's fine. Thanks very much, Charles. We'll get straight into it. When producers are addressing animal nutrition, what are the fundamentals that they really need to understand? Well, basically, all the nutrition comes from the feed. The feed's the conduit of the nutrients. Basically, you've got to think of what's in the feed. There's water first. Now, water's not, has got no nutritive value, but it's a dilutant. And as I'll touch on later, how important that is and everything. It's essential for life, but also it's going to be uh, assimilated into the muscle as well, which becomes part of your live weight. We've got to have, the animal's got to have water. It's got to have energy. Basically, energy makes things go and it's got to have protein so it can make protein makes things grow. It's got to have minerals and it's got to have the vitamins. How do animals use what the feed supplies to grow meat? I think was the question. You yes, to, that will be my next uh, one. 
yeah, what you really wanted me to answer. So I think we need to just go back. And it's a it's a big question. It's a big, uh, and I'll try and keep it to a, a, a brief answer. But um, tissue, basically, you've got to start from where it's start at the beginning. So tissue is in, is laid down in the order of bone, muscle, fat. And uh, these components are really what is in the meat that the consumer eats. So uh, bone is, well, they don't want to eat too much of that. It's pretty hard to break. You have to get, you know, cut that up with a knife. But the muscle and the fat is the components. And, and generally, the fat is very important for the flavour of the meat. And I'll explain why you don't want too much of that and why it can be quite inefficient producing it. The first thing you've got to think about, though, is you've got to have a good frame to hang their meat on. And that frame is the bone structure. It's important to get that good bone development starting right in utero, right from the end of, in the latter part of pregnancy, when the fetus is making very rapid growth, is when you're going to need that laying down of the bone tissue. Uh, obviously, when a calf comes, is delivered on the ground, he's not a blob of jelly. He's actually got bone and within a few, uh, within a half an hour, an hour or so, hopefully he's got up and start and have a suck, which would be great. To lay down that bone matrix within utero and as they progress later on in life, they're going to need adequate calcium. They're going to need adequate phosphorus. They're going to need magnesium. And also one that's often forgot about and which can be an issue in the parcel areas is copper. Now, just because a little bit of copper is needed doesn't mean more is going to be better. So you've got to have the right sort of quantities and you don't want to be overdoing it. You know, if you overdo it in sheep, it's very easy to kill them with copper toxicity. A little bit more difficult in cattle, but we don't want to go there. We need every live animal we can. That's what we need to lay down that good bone matrix. So they've got to get that out of their feed. So that's sort of, we started with water, energy, protein, the minerals and the vitamins. But I started on the minerals because that's the order in which the, the tissues develop. Then we go to the muscle. Muscle is largely protein plus water with some connective tissue. And the older the animal, the more connective tissue. And that's why as the animals get older, the meat gets tougher. And muscle protein is laid down by the assimilation of the amino acids. Those amino acids are the building blocks of the body or the protein uh, of the muscle. And they're absorbed from the small intestine from the microbial bodies that are produced by the fermentation of the carbohydrates. So that breakdown of those of the microbial bodies that come out of the rumen and then hit the forestomach, are killed by the acid in the forestomach, are then passed to the small intestine where they undergo digestion, normal protein digestion like happens in us, and then release the amino acids which are absorbed. And those amino acids then uh, provided there's all the essential amino acids, which generally the amino acid spectrum from microbial pro- protein or microbial body is, is very good. And those microbial bodies are produced from the fermentation of the carbohydrates in the rumen. And the microbes use the rumen degradable protein or the rumen degradable nitrogen that is supplied in the feed or it could be supplied in the lick in the form of urea to grow and reproduce um, in the rumen before they pass to the small intestines where the amino acids are going to be released for absorption and then assimilation into muscle protein. A lot of this, all these assimilation processes, they all pass through the liver and require energy. So now how do we get the energy? Well, that's required to build the protein to stick it all together, to assimilate those amino acids into the structure or the linkages to build the muscle protein. And the major energy sources are the volatile fatty acids produced by the fermentation of the carbohydrates. They produce those volatile fatty acids. They are the major energy substrate in a ruminant animal. In us, the major energy substrate in glucose. But when it gets to the tissue level, 
there is a lot of glucose required and and particularly also in addition to brain function reproduction function all those sort of things and certainly milk production glucose is also used in muscle synthesis and but also uh, and that is derived from the second of our major vfas called propionate and it goes around in a cycle and is converted to glucose so the animal has to ferment the carbohydrate and then goes through a cycle and convert it back to glucose, whereas we can break down a carbohydrate, the starch, straight to glucose. So that can be considered an inefficiency. If there isn't enough vitamin B12, to con- it, which is a coenzyme in the conversion of propionate, that VFA, that th- second VFA, to, for the conversion of propionate to glucose, well, then you won't get enough glucose being synthesized and overall productivity will be reduced. So that brings that together in a reasonable uh, summarized version. And as the animal gets more mature, there is less, remember I said, it develops in the order of a bone, muscle, fat. And as the animal gets, so we got bone taking off their muscle, a long period of muscle growth, and then into the fattening phase. So We want to talk a little bit about that now. As the animal matures, there is less muscle growth and more of the energy is available to be converted to fat. I just want to dwell a little bit on water because it is such a big component of meat. And you know when you, you know, fry a steak and that there's a lot of juice comes out of it, you try and retain as much of that as you can because that gives it the the juiciness, which we know is an important part for the eating quality of a meat. But that water... Uh, has considerable significance which when you think about it if you grow more the every kilo of muscle protein which is assimilated in the animal has with it or contains in that kilo of muscle protein held within it is three kilograms of water but every kilogram of fat has with it only a hundred grams of water roughly you know we're not we're going to weigh it out to the second decimal place but at the end of the day that's roughly so you got 30 to 1 why would you want to produce fat it's very inefficient the consumer have told us they don't want too much of it they just want enough to give it a nice flavor and um, and so that's why we look at those animals that don't produce so much fat we know if we go down the wagyu path we've got to have a certain degree of fatness in the meat because that's the attribute people want and that's in the marbling the intramuscular fat within the muscle to get a high level of marbling those animals they got to be very very fat so it's very inefficient to be producing a lot of fat and what happens in feedlot situations if you keep the animals and you've got the wrong type of animal in a feedlot that's going to run the fat a lot quicker and females will run the fat earlier they become very inefficient every kilogram of food it might start at say five and a half kilograms of dry matter to produce one kilogram of live weight gain. And then it will blow out to six, seven to one if we keep going out as the animal gets fatter because we're no longer packaging water in conjunction with muscle because the animal's got more mature. So that, I think, puts it in sort of in perspective. Now that we have a bit of an understanding of the fundamentals, what are some key points to think about when trying to match, say, available feed or pasture in my paddock to what my animal actually requires? Well, to me, it's all about reading the feed in conjunction with your animal. Obviously, body condition scoring is a very powerful tool. And people, once you start using that as a tool, it really gives you another dimension to how you can control and determine when things could start to go wrong. 
And it's all about doing things before they go wrong. Body condition scoring, that's scoring one to five, and I really recommend you go to half course. Um, if you can't make, make a decision whether it's a two or a three, give it a two and a half. Always make a decision. And that is one of the biggest things in agriculture is making decisions, making them earlier and, and, and make it. Even if it's a wrong decision, you won't make it again. But at the end of the day, making decisions and acting early is so important. Knowing your environment, when you know you should get adequate rain, then knowing that's when we get adequate. Normally, we on 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 a high. The probability is then when is the highest when that's the time we should get the most rain, enough rain to grow three months of feed, for example. If that date goes past, you've got to really start to make some serious decisions. We got to control what we can control. But let's just go back a step now. So that's looking at our cattle first. Condition scoring, body condition scoring allows you to see how the animal is responding in relation to the feed. And it's a bit hard with younger animals because certainly you've got to keep them going forward. As I've said, you can't maintain a weaner. They're either dying or growing. So you need to keep them moving forward. A, a mature animal, particularly a dry cow, they can afford to lose a bit, but you want that bit of buffer in their system so you don't want them losing too much either. And particularly if they've got if they're pregnant, which they're likely to be, and so they're setting themselves up for that next lactation. So they've got to have a bit of buffer in the system. So reading that body condition scoring is valuable, but don't just do it in conjunction. Say, oh, like yeah, I scored them last time. Uh, get get the figure out and have a look at it. And so yeah, this mob of young heifers they were scored three six weeks ago. And we, we know we haven't had any fee, any rain. And so you then start looking at the pasture. Then you've obviously, you know, had them probably overstocked or whatever. They've been hanging around the water, haven't been getting out there, grazing more extensively. So we've got to read the feed. And when it comes to reading the feed, it's all about, well, first of all, observing those animals in conjunction with um, body condition scoring. So are they further out from the water? Has their grazing range been extended? So they're starting to tell you that the the whole thing is going a little bit wobbly here and the other thing is is when you do get a good season and things are looking good have a look at the fullness of their rumen on the left the rumens on the left hand side is the rumen full and are they fermenting uh, and and often the gases won't build up for a while because they're, they're going to have to break those foods down to release the gases and that sort of thing. But, it, you know, do they look really pretty reasonably full when they've come in to lie down? If they're looking hollowed out well and they've come in from a long way, okay, so they're getting into water later, then you know they've walked a long way. And you know that walking costs energy, okay? So they're, they're the first things about the animal. The second thing is reading the pasture. The first thing is, how much leaf's there? As I always say, the leaf doesn't do any work. The leaf is the more digestible. It just hangs there. It's solar cells. It's a solar collector. It just collects the sunlight, whereas the stem does the work. The stem is woody. It's lignified. The taller the material, the more woody it's got to be to hold it upright, and that means it's going to be less digestible, whereas the leaf is the digestible component. So if there's more and more leaf disappearing, just have a look at when your cattle start Put moving further out to water points. The first thing that you'll see is that there's less leaf left on the stuff closer on the pasture, on the feed, closer to the water point. So that proportion of leaf to stem, how much dead material is there compared to leaf, um, dry, uh, dead to, to, to green leaf material or, or even green stem material? 
So just having a look at those sort of things, because if it's green, it means it's photosynthetic, it's alive, it's probably a lot higher in protein than dead material, okay? So all those sort of things. And if you start seeing less and less green, then, you know, well, we, we, we're going to be starting to run into a problem, then it dries out longer and longer, then we're left with the dry dead material. And we could be talking over a couple of months for these things to happen. The other thing to read in conjunction with the pasture, and, and again with the animal as well, have a look at their dung. What I look about is the pad on the ground, the dung pad on the ground. If it's flat and it's fairly flat and fairly wide and maybe up a couple of, uh, couple of centimetres at the most, then those animals are probably, their, their tucker's pretty reasonable, quite good. So read their dung in conjunction with their body condition score in conjunction with the pasture. As you, as you start to see the dung get taller and smaller, the pat, that means there's less digestible fibre in there. There's more indigestible fibre. That means there's more stem material in there. So it's rising. You know, when things are getting pretty tough and there's very little leaf left, that's when you start to get that, well, that's when the dung will start to spiral. And as soon as you start to see those spirals, they are in serious trouble. And there's certainly going to be the first thing that would tell me you've got a protein insufficiency or ruminodegradable nitrogen. And so you should have started a, at least a urea-based lick some time ago when there was leaf still on the pasture. Don't get yourself into that situation. And the worst situation is eventually we can't even move the animals. Um, so then you start. And then you're going to have to bring in a lot of feed to bring them back up. So I think reading, reading those uh, signals together in conjunction, I think, is, uh, is the, real, the real guts of the issue. Wonderful, making those decisions early and then sticking to them and just managing, yeah, right through. Yeah. And, and look, it isn't easy. I mean, we all procrastinate. Look, you'll be doing yourselves a favour and certainly your animals a favour uh, by just reducing the stress on them and reducing the nutritional stress on the health, on them and the psychological stress on yourself. Definitely. So then if I do sort of get to a point where I identify, geez, my pasture or my feed that, that is available is probably not meeting my animals, um, you know, supplementary feeding's the obvious option to bridge the gap. What's the general process for implementing a supplementary feeding program? So looking after those, feeding those rumen microbes to feed the animal is what's coming, what's the first thing. And people, the first thing they want to do is, 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 is put out a mineral leak. That's generally not the most limiting thing. In phosphorus-deficient country, phosphorus becomes the most limiting limiting nutrient in the wet season. In this area, I did my doctorate in, so I know a little bit about it because it was particularly focused on that. And and um, what what it what we're really looking because there's usually adequate energy is because it's digestible. It's green. It's digestible. There's usually adequate protein because it's been growing or it's growing and. And that's when, in that country, that real uh, hard phosphorus-deficient country, red soils um, where the iron-aluminium complexes bind up the phosphorus and it becomes plant-available phosphorus might be as low as three ppm in the soil, um, uh, but the total phosphorus might be might be reasonable levels of phosphorus, but it's just not plant-available because a lot of it's bound up in that iron-aluminium complex, and so you know that that sort of situation then phosphorus is, becomes the first limiting nutrient. So yeah, generally the minerals I think about, are, first of all, is sulphur when we're looking at supplementing a, a dry feed, making sure it's there. And if we're using sulphate ammonia, which is commonly used as one of our limiters, it's going to be in there, usually at reasonable levels, but 
you know, I see some very high levels of sulfate ammonia going in some licks as well. A lot of those situations, they would be better off moving away from those type of licks. Particularly you've got cows and calves, maybe some undergrowths, maybe some true protein in the system is going to help. A bit of bypass protein um, is going is to be, is, could well be useful. And the other thing about the halophytes is a lot of the protein in halophytes is actually not protein. It's just nitrogen. It's non-protein nitrogen. So your halophytes, you know, what I'm talking salt bushes, blue bushes and all those sort of plants, actually can be quite degradable protein, right, or degradable or soluble nitrogen in the room. And they're amines, um, nitrates, um, and, and um, those things. But the big problem with your halophytes is that just got no energy because there's no energy in salt. If you've got 25% sodium and potassium chlorides in a salt bush, and it, it just can't, there's no room for energy. You've got moisture, water, H2O, ash, which is all those salts, and you take that out. What's left is the organic fraction, right? So if you've just taken out uh, out of the dry matter 25%, you're left with only 75% of the organic matter in the dry matter. And then the total energy that's available now is a lot less to the animal. And so that's why salt bushes often can be useful as a supplement or your halophytes can be really useful as a supplement. But once you start to have the, the, you know, the dung's getting a bit spirally and you haven't started supplementing and you're only left with and the, the top feeds out of reach, they've hammered the halophytes and all you've got is what I call porcupine sticks and that's, and that's not just Finifix is if that's all you've got, then you've, you know, you've probably, you've left it too late. You should have made some decisions and started moving, moving animals off that area or moving them wherever. I had, uh, I did have one more question and that's uh, what keeps you interested in ag? What keeps you interested in your role and, and in agriculture? Always loved agriculture and it's fascinating. It's a great way of life. I love the people involved in it. I'm a boy from the bush originally and I consider myself privileged at this stage in life to have a little bit of knowledge and, and, and to be in a position where I can pass that on to people who can make money out of it. I, I can't go and buy a pastoral station at my age. Uh, I have my small block of land with my wife and our sheep and I love agriculture. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, John, for coming on and, yeah, really appreciate your time and look forward to working with you throughout the rest of the project. Yeah, well, likewise, Charles, and I really look forward to working with the pastoralists and seeing how we can make it all work better for everyone. Great. Thank you very much. That brings us to the end of this episode. Some fantastic and quite in-depth information about the science behind cattle nutrition in there. So some key messages from today's episode. Combining body condition scoring with the regular observation of behavior, dung and pasture availability should help identify whether the feed is meeting the animal's requirements or in John's words, is the feed meeting the need? Don't wait too long before making those hard decisions as it could make it more difficult and more expensive to bring cattle back up to scratch. If you have any questions about the topic discussed in today's episode, you can get in touch with our Beef Development Officer, Charles Callaghan, via email on beefofficer at wmgroup.org.au. And I'll add that to the show notes so it's easy to find. This episode was created as part of the BeefLinks program, led by the University of Western Australia and Meat and Livestock Australia. The project aims to drive an integrated research and development program to support growth and opportunities for the WA pastoral beef industry. 
And also a huge thank you to Dr. John Milton for sharing his experience and knowledge with us, not only on today's podcast, but at the recent workshop hosted back in August this year. The best way to receive our updates and to stay in the loop with the latest in local research is by becoming a West Midlands Group member. Our members are an essential part of why we do what we do, and we pride ourselves on ensuring members like you receive relevant, innovative information. A membership gets you early access to our workshops, free or discounted entry for up to three farm business members to our major events, including Springfield Days, and exclusive access to a member-only publications like our technical newsletter, the WMG Quarterly. For more information, visit our website where you can sign up anytime. The West Midlands Group is excited to offer free membership between October and December this year. So don't miss this great opportunity to get a taste of what we can offer your farm business. Simply follow the link in today's show notes to sign up. And thank you as always for tuning in. We want to know what you want to hear about. In the show notes, you'll be able to find a link titled podcast feedback where you can let us know who you want to hear from, what you want to hear about, and it would just give us a better idea of what you guys are interested in. You can stay in the loop by subscribing so that you know when the next episode drops. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review. I'd like to thank our sponsors and members without whom this would not be possible. See you next time for some more paddock chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you.